Well, the question for today is the question of environmentalism. What does a Christian do with all of this crazy talk about creation care? The biggest problem with this issue is that most people anticipate that environmentalism is a political issue, a political issue that involves all those crazy ultra left-wing liberal tree hugger types, and that you probably have to be a bit of a hippie to care about it in the first place. Well, I would argue in response that the care of creation is actually very much a biblical issue. And rather than being attached to political agendas, is attached to every era of redemptive history. And if you love what God loves, you're probably going to wind up caring about it. So if we take this issue and we ask, what does the Bible have to say about it? Can we find a biblical theology of creation care? I would argue, yes, indeed. There is a robust biblical theology regarding creation care. Let's launch in the beginning of the story, Genesis 1, the great blueprint for creation, which is presented to us as a seven-day uh, literary framework where God on the seventh day is enthroned above his creation, showing that the creation Creation is perfect, it's ideal, it's ordered, and it exists in its perfect state under the sovereignty of the Creator. Ah, but what about the sixth day? The sixth day involves the enthronement of a steward, one made in the image of God, who is to reflect the image of God. How? Well, in Genesis 2, we read specifically that the role of humanity is to serve and to protect. Then Yahweh Elohim took the human and put him into the Garden of Eden to tend it or to serve it and to protect it. So what we see in that initial blueprint is that in God's ideal design, the garden belongs to Yahweh, the garden belongs to God, but Adam has been set up as the caretaker, the steward, who when he lives his life in submission to God will also serve and protect the creation. Well, the crazy thing is that this concept actually runs all the way through redemptive history. When we look into the law codes of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we see that when the land is given to Israel, God's first redeemed people, that again this message is repeated. The land actually belongs to Yahweh, and Israel is being given the land to use and to provide for themselves, but in a limited fashion. They are not allowed to exploit the land. In fact, right there in your biblical text are laws regarding sustainable agriculture, the protection of the wild creature, the proper and humane care of the domestic creature, and even the fact that the widow and the orphan will ultimately be provided for if Israel, God's people, treats the land with respect. Moreover, Israel is told repeatedly that if they fail to treat the land with the respect, if they fail to practice sustainable agriculture, that would be the law of the Sabbath and the fallow year, if they fail to care for the widow and the orphan in the way they steward these resources, that they will be thrown out of the land. They will be thrown out like bad tenants who fail to treat the property of the landowner properly. And so we bump into laws like Exodus 23. You shall sow your land for six years and gather its yield, but on the seventh you will let it rest and lie fallow. We run into laws like Deuteronomy 20:19 that actually speaks about environmental terrorism. And Israel is commanded that when they besiege a city, they're not allowed to cut the trees down because is a tree of the field a man that you should besiege it? 
we run into laws that speak specifically about the care of the wild creature. Deuteronomy, again, gives us this interesting little piece. If you happen upon a bird's nest in front of you or in the road or in a tree or upon the ground with young ones or eggs in it and the mother sitting upon the young, you will not take the mother and the eggs. Rather, you'll shoo the mother away and you'll take the eggs for yourself, lest it be uh, a negative thing for you in the land. The idea is that if we don't allow the native species the chance to reproduce themselves and protect their populations, that God is not pleased, right here in Deuteronomic law. And then with the domestic creature, we see that Israel is commanded to allow the animal who serves them to enjoy their life and work. Do you realize that the Sabbath ordinance is actually uh, proactive for not only sons and daughters and servants and slaves, but it actually goes on in Deuteronomy 5.14 to state that you allow your ox and your donkey and your domesticated beasts to rest. This provides a profound critique for issues that involve factory farming and humane treatment of livestock. And we, the redeemed community, need to respond to these descriptions of God's character and what he expects of his people. What about the New Testament? Well, we see that in the New Testament, although it's harder to find an echo theology, that Romans 8 in particular speaks strongly about issues of the resurrection of the current planet. We read in Romans 8, 28 and 29, for the creation waits eagerly for the, with, uh, excuse me, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation itself was subjected to futility and that can be translated as frustration. Creation was unable to complete the task for which it was created. Why? Not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, Paul is associating the resurrection of the cosmos with the resurrection of the redeemed. And how does the resurrection of the redeemed work? This very body, this very body will be raised from the dead into a perfect state. This is my hope of the future. Your hope as a Christian of the eschaton. And that message is applied to the creation as well. What does that tell us? It tells us that this current creation is not simply disposable. What about 2 Peter 3 and Revelation 21 that speak about the planet fleeing from the wrath of God or the idea of perceived destruction? Many Christians have interpreted those passages over the years to think that this current creation is actually bound only for destruction. So, of course, wouldn't it be efficient to use up these resources for what really counts, i.e. the conversion of souls? Well, many New Testament scholars would tell us, Doug Moo in particular, that when we read those passages recognizing that they're using symbolic language from the Old Testament, this is not a message of destroying, annihilating this planet, but rather it's the message of judgment that is coming, and it's symbolic language. In reality, when these things are linked to Romans chapter 8, we see that God's goal for this planet is transformation with continuity. In other words, God's not done with this creation yet, and he does not perceive it as disposable. So how would I distill a message of environmentalism down for the Christian leader? 
I would speak of it in terms of a single proverb. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. You may make use of it in your need, but you shall not abuse it in your greed. There's a message of restrained consumption, restrained productivity, and charity that permeates the entire biblical witness. And those values, those values of holiness, must translate into our care for creation as well as the other aspects of our lives.